Today we are going to do a little bit of a pause, and that is uh, last uh, two weeks we've been on a message entitled Small Faith, and uh, we're going to pause for today because of Father's Day, and so next Sunday uh, we're going to wrap up that series, and I want to go ahead and invite you to do something next Sunday. How many know God always saves the best for last? Uh, And we're going to be really diving into that message of small faith the next Sunday morning and wrapping that series up, and uh, we're going to see some amazing truths that I really believe is going to bring a shift in what God is doing in our lives, our ability not only to receive from God, uh, but our ability to minister for Him and release what God has into the earth. And so it's going to be a powerful Sunday next Sunday. So this is my challenge to you. Uh, I would love for everybody here today to invite somebody and bring somebody with you next Sunday and just go ahead and tell them in faith, hey, God's got a word for you next Sunday and you need to come and hear it and we want you to be a part of it. And if you're watching online, go ahead and invite somebody, have them join you online, create a watch party, do whatever you have to do, and let's get people together so we can hear the word of the Lord. Well, one real quick final announcement, and that is for all of our dads that are here today. Uh, Hopefully, if you're a father in the house today, you should have received a little ticket. Did everybody get a ticket this morning? If you did not get a ticket and you're a dad, would you raise your hand? Anybody in here? All right, Alan, we'll get you one here in just a second. And uh, all right, praise the Lord. Anybody else? Awesome. At the end of the service, we've got a special gift we want to give away. Uh, we thought uh, guys liked money as much as they like anything else, so we got a $50 bill with somebody's name written on it. How about that, Daryl? Is that all right with you? So uh, we're going to give away some uh, little cash at the end of the service. Well, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about manhood uh, because it is Father's Day, and I want to share with you a message simply entitled Authentic Manhood, and we want to talk a little bit today really about a definition of manhood. A year ago, uh, I had a gentleman text me and he said, Pastor Keith, he said, what do you feel like is the greatest need in the local church for men? And I responded very clearly. I said, I believe the greatest need in the local church for men is a clear and compelling definition of what it means to be a man. Uh, Because we have a lot of definitions of manhood in our world today, uh, but if you do not have a vision of manhood that calls you up into the high calling of God, then you're living by the wrong vision and wrong definition of what it means to be a man. And so this morning, we're going to dive right into talking about what is really a biblical definition of manhood. And uh, we have an amazing men's ministry here at Liberty Church. It's called Bob Band of Brothers. How many of you guys are involved in our Band of Brothers ministry? Go ahead, let me raise your hand. That's awesome. If you're not involved in Band of Brothers at the end of the service today, I'm going to tell you how you can get connected and how you can get involved and be a part of what God is doing through the men here at Liberty Church because we've got an awesome move of God happening through our men, and uh, we're excited about that today. And we really want to honor what the Lord is doing. Well, today, if you want to look at your outline, we're going to hit a couple points and dive right into authentic manhood. First of all, I just want to say this. Look at that first point. A real man isn't a perfect man. A real man isn't a perfect man. He is a on-purpose man. He is the kind of man that God delights in. In Acts 13, verse 22, the Bible says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. And God said of David, I have found David, a man after my own heart. I want you to think about what an awesome testimony that is, that God himself would declare that David was a man after his own heart. But I want you to think about something. A lot of times when we talk about biblical characters, uh, we paint this amazing picture. And you know, David killed Goliath, and David was an awesome king, and David did this, and David did that. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, David was anything but a perfect man. He was not a perfect man. 
And real men are not perfect men. As a matter of fact, David sinned and came short of the glory of God in some pretty big areas of his life. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today uh, because I want to liberate you guys this morning. For all of you men that are in the house today and those of you that are watching online, there is a pressure sometimes that we put on ourselves that says, I got to be this perfect man. I got to be a perfect husband. I got to be a perfect father. I got to be this perfect example of Christianity. And the realization is you and I, neither one are perfect. We're not. And there is no such thing as a perfect man other than Jesus, and they nailed him to a cross. Are you very with me this morning? And so Jesus was the only perfect man. So the goal of being a real man is not to be a perfect man. The goal of being a real man is to be an on-purpose man. To be purposely pursuing the heart of God, to purposely pursue every day, that every day I want to become more and more like Jesus. Because Jesus is the goal, the standard, and the model of what Christianity is all about. So for me as a man, my heart is not to be perfect because my heart is to be on purpose. And every day I want to become more and more like Jesus. And and let me just say this. Kelly and I, uh, we've been pastor now for almost 28 years and we've counseled hundreds and hundreds of women uh, over those 28 years of ministry, and I've never had a woman, we've never sat down with a woman that said, you know what, Pastor Keith, Pastor Kelly, I really can't follow my husband, I really don't respect my husband, I really don't, uh, I really can't support my husband because he's not perfect. I've never had one woman say, I can't support or follow or honor or respect my husband because he's not perfect. I've never heard a child say, you know what, I can't follow my father's leadership because he's not a perfect father. The truth is, nobody expects us to be perfect. There's not a person on the planet that expects us to be perfect. But you know what our family does? It does expect from us men, they do expect us to be on purpose. They don't expect us to be perfect men, but they are looking for some men that are on purpose, men that are purposely pursuing the heart of God, men that are purposely pursuing becoming more and more like Jesus, amen? And so a perfect man, a a real man is not a perfect man, but he's a on-purpose man. Now look at this next point. I want you to see this. So a real man doesn't always make the right decisions, but he always makes his decisions right. A real man doesn't always make the right decisions, but he always makes his decisions right. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't know about you guys out there if you're listening to me this morning, but I I, I know this. I know there have been times where I've prayed about my decisions. I've sought the scripture on my decisions. I've talked to other men about my decisions. I've even asked my wife about my decision, and then I've made the decision and then realized it was wrong. (laughs) You ever done that? You ever did everything you knew to be right? Man, you're praying about it, you're seeking the Lord, you're getting counsel, and you make the decision, and it may not be immediately, and it may not be a week, and it may not be a month, but somewhere along the line, you realize, man, that was probably the wrong decision. I wish I'd have made a little different decision. I wish I'd have went in this direction instead of that direction. And the reality is, is it is impossible for us to always make the right decision, but we can always make every decision right. Think about that. We don't always make the right decisions, but we can always make our decisions right. What do you mean by that? Well, let's talk about David again for a second. David, a man after God's own heart, was anything but a perfect man. To be honest with you, if you just looked at David's life through natural decision-making qualities, David would not be the example we would look to. David committed adultery. David committed murder. And David was probably one of the worst examples of a father because he was so passive, he refused to correct and deal with the rebellion of his son Absalom who brought division and chaos into his whole kingdom. 
David was really a horrible man. I mean, think about that for a second. If I were to tell you, hey, next Sunday, I've got an adulterer murderer who hates his children. He's going to be preaching. I want y'all to come hear him. An adultering murderer who hates his kids because the Bible says if you don't correct your kids, you actually hate them. So I've got an adultering murderer who hates his kids who's going to be bringing the word of the Lord next Sunday, and he's this awesome guy with a, man, with a heart after God. You'd be like, Pastor Keith, are you, are you serious? I thought you said he was an adultering murderer who hates his kids. Yeah, he is, but he loves God. See, David was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't a perfect man. And this ought to encourage us, guys. It ought to encourage, it's not an excuse to be stupid. But it ought to encourage us in the fact that God still looked at David and said, here's a man after my own heart. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He was a passive father. But he's a man after my own heart. And this is why. Because when David sinned and came short of the glory of God, it might have took him a while, but he repented and he returned and he came back to God. He, I mean, it might have took Nathan the prophet coming to him and rebuking him and correcting him and God had to send him a prophet to get his attention. But David had this amazing ability that even after his biggest screw ups, he would repent and he would return to God. That's a man after God's own heart. And so a real man is not a perfect man. And he's not a man that always makes the right decisions. He's a man that says, you know what? I may not always make the right decision, but I'm going to make every decision right. What does that mean? It means when I make the wrong decision, I make it right by repenting. When I make the wrong decision, I make it right by saying, hey, baby, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm, when I make the wrong decision, I make it right by turning, getting back on the path and refusing to stay on a course of destruction and just keep going back to the heart of God and going back to doing what is right and going back to a place of repentance and going back to a place of restoration because I may not always make the right decision, but I can always make every decision right. That's a real man, Amen. And that was the kind of man that David was, and David was a man after God's own heart. So look at that next point. Now, let's give me a definition today. And this definition comes right out of our authentic manhood. This is a curriculum that we use with our men, because we literally have a training track to help men be men. Amen? How many know we need a little help, guys? Somebody help me out there. Come on. We need a little bit of help. Sometimes we need to be reminded, and we need to be encouraged, and we need to be connected to truth that sets us free, amen? So here's our definition. A real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward, which is God's reward. 1 Corinthians 13 11 says, Paul speaking, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, y'all say that with me, all the guys in here, but when I became a man, let's say it again, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Let me tell you why a definition of manhood is so important. Because your definition determines your direction. Your definition of what it means to be a man determines the direction that you live your life. Because you're going to move in the direction that you have defined as this is what a man is. And if you don't have a definition of manhood that calls you into a place of maturity, that calls you out of a childish behavior, how many know we should be childlike in our faith, but we shouldn't be childish in our attitude and actions? There's a big difference. We should be childish, childlike in our faith, but we should not be childish in our actions and our decisions and our attitude. And so Paul said, when I became a man, I put away the childish things of immaturity. 
And so it's so important that we have a right definition, that we have a biblical definition of what it means to be a man, because it's that calling of definition that calls us up to be the man that God has created us to be. And ladies, that's not just true for men, that's true for you, it's true for young people, it's true for teenagers, it's true for kids. Your definition of what life ought to look like determines the direction of how you live your life. And if you don't have the right definition, you're going to live your life in the wrong direction, amen? And you're going to pursue the things that have no real value. When you look at our culture today, and you look at what people are spending their time, their talent, their energy, and their efforts to become, they end up becoming something that has no eternal value, and that produces no real lasting fruit that changes eternity, amen? And God's got a great calling on each of us today. Amen. So let's look at this. Let's break down that definition of manhood. So a real man rejects passivity. What is passivity? It is, it is, passivity is inactivity. It accepts what happens without an active response or resistance. A real man refuses to say nothing or do nothing. A real man refuses to say nothing or do nothing. A real man refuses to say nothing or do nothing. Again, 28 years of pastoral ministry, I've never had a wife sit in our office and say, Pastor Keith, would you please help me? My husband is too involved in our family. He is too passionate about our kids. He is too engaged in our marriage. I mean, he's always wanting to make our marriage better, and he's always wanting to spend time with the kids, and he's always taking the burden of financial responsibility. Pastor Keith, could you figure out how to get my husband to dial it back a little bit because he is way too engaged and way too involved in our family. Never heard that in 28 years. Never. You know what I have heard? Pastor Keith, could you please help me? Can you please help me? I mean, our marriage is going down and my husband's saying nothing and doing nothing. Our kids are in trouble and my husband's saying nothing and doing nothing. Financially, we are about to go under and my husband is saying nothing and doing nothing. Spiritually, we are struggling and falling apart as a family and my husband is saying nothing and doing nothing. Could you please help me to get my husband involved? Never heard a wife complain about her husband being too engaged in their family. But over and over and over again, I've heard ladies beg Kelly and I, please help me to get my husband engaged. Why? Because there is a tendency, I want you to hear this, there is a tendency in us as men to be passive. I mean, let's be honest in this room today. Can we do that? We're in church, we can be honest. It's a good place to be honest. All you married men know this. Your wife is not passive. <laughs> she's going to tell you what she's thinking, when she's thinking, how she's thinking, and she's going to do it in a way that you're going to know she's thinking it. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Come on. <laughs> Our wives are not passive. They are very vocal <laughs> and very quick to engage. I mean, something looks like it's about to go wrong and she's on it. Right? But the flip of that coin is us as men have a tendency to let's say, well, let's, let's see what happens. Well, let's just wait a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. Let's just hold up. And, and, and I, believe, I, believe there's, I believe there's a little, actually, I'm going to say, I believe there's a lot of wisdom in that. There's wisdom in, in allowing something to take its course. But passivity lets it take the course and still doesn't respond. 
Passivity allows the thing to that begin to look like it was a problem, become a problem, and still we don't do anything. And so we got to recognize that passivity is a sin that robs the heart of man. And let me just say this to us today, man, and we're going to read a scripture out of Genesis chapter 3. I want you to hear me. Passivity in the heart of a man is an open door of deception into your family. Passivity in the heart of a man is the open door of deception into your family. And if you don't believe me, look with me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It's the story of Eve being tempted by the devil in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband. Look at those next four words. Who was with her? Where was Adam when the devil was tempting Eve? He was with her. Where was Adam when Eve was being deceived? He was with her. And I believe that the first sin before the original sin was the sin of passivity. I believe that Adam was standing there saying nothing and doing nothing while the devil was deceiving and ultimately about to destroy humanity because he said nothing and did nothing. I made a decision a long time ago. I said, if my family's going to go to hell, they're going to have to go to hell through me. Right? If they're going to go to hell, they're going to have to go to hell through me. See, I believe real men stand at the gates of hell and then redirect traffic. <laughs> uh, you can't come here. Oh, no, you can't come here. No, 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 no. I'm going to stand right here. And you know what? I've decided not only for our family, but for our church and for our city and for North Alabama, I'm going to be the person that stands at the gates of hell and redirects traffic. I'm going to be that person that says, if Arab goes to hell, it's going to have to go to hell through me. If Arab goes to hell, it's going to have to go to hell through Liberty Church because we're going to say something and we're going to do something and we're going to engage our community and we're going to stand up and we're going to speak up and we're going to be a voice in a world of darkness because real men fight for their families they don't fight their families they fight for their families and that's a whole nother sermon because that's a message in itself amen so a real man rejects passivity look at that next point a real man accepts responsibility a real man refuses to blame others and make excuses for his life. I want everybody to read this last part with me. Let's say it together. My response is my responsibility. Let's say it together. My response is my responsibility. How you respond to problems, how you respond to pain, how you respond to setbacks, how you respond to financial difficulties, how you respond to marital problems, how you respond to parental problems, how you respond to rebellious children, how you respond to life in general is your responsibility. Your response is your responsibility. And real men, hear me, real men refuse to blame others and make excuses for their lives. You guys have heard me say this before. I have a hard time uh, watching sporting events sometimes with certain people because I can't stand it when guys whine and complain about the calls that the referees are making. I'm like, number one, they're on TV, you're in the living room, shut up. Number two, if you were there, it wouldn't matter how loud you yell anyway, he's not going to change his call. 
Number three, grow up and get over it. Your team lost because they let the other team beat them and they shot themselves in the foot. Stop blaming the referee or the umpire. I can't stand watching sports with whiny guys. Can you believe that call? Come on. Real men refuse to make excuses. My wife, my kids, my boss, my job, the economy, the government, the world, the president. I mean, if you listen to it every now and then, we blame God. That's what Adam did. Look with me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. God is confronting Adam for his sin, and the Bible says, and the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. When God confronted Adam for his sin, Adam blamed two people, the only other two people in the room. He blamed God, and he blamed the woman. And it's until, you, until you stop blaming, I want you to hear me today, guys, responsibility releases authority into your life. The moment you take responsibility for your actions, your attitude, and your decisions is the moment things change. As long as you say, well, I can't, or they won't listen to me, or nothing ever works, or I can't get ahead, or it don't matter how I try. All those are excuses that keep you from walking in the authority that God has given you. The moment you accept responsibility for your life is the moment that you walk in the authority that God has already given you as a child of God. You have authority over the devil. You have authority over the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have authority over your own life. Stop making excuses. Take responsibility. And you know what will happen? Things will change. Things will change. You know the only difference, we've all seen this, and I use this illustration because we've all seen it. The only difference between the parent of the two-year-old that runs crazy and terrorizes the whole community and the parent of the two-year-old that's a wonderful blessing and everybody loves to see him come is not the two-year-old. The two-year-old is just a two-year-old. The difference between the kid that terrorizes the community and the kid that everybody loves to see come is the parents. Because one parent says, I'm going to take responsibility for how my kids act, and the other parent says, I'm not going to take responsibility because you know they're two years old and I just can't control them. And as long as you think that way, and as long as you relinquish your responsibility over your children, they'll never act the way they're supposed to act. But the moment, hear me, the moment you say, I'm responsible for how my two-year-old acts, that two-year-old will change. They will change. Might take a week, might take a month, might take some duct tape, but they will change. <laughs> They'll change. Because responsibility releases authority. A real man takes responsibility because real men walk in the authority that God has given them. And you can't embrace authority if you relinquish responsibility. Amen? A real man, look at that next point. A real man leads courageously. A real man does what is right even when it's hurts, even when it hurts, and I just want to put there in parentheses, or even when it's hard. He sacrifices himself for those he has been called to lead. John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. That's a, that's a powerful phrase. I know my sheep and they know me. You know why Jesus knew his sheep and they knew him? He took responsibility for them. He wasn't a passive shepherd. Well, I just don't know what they do when they go in their rooms. Well, go in their room. Yeah. 
I just don't know. Well, no. <laughs> Take responsibility to know. Man, I just don't know what's wrong with my marriage. Figure it out and do something. Go on a date night. Come on, do something. I just want to dare to say it's better to do something that's wrong than it is to do nothing at all. Because <laughs> at least you're going to make some progress somewhere along the way. Y'all still with me? Everybody good this morning? So a real man leads courageously. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I want you to hear this. The proof of leadership is sacrifice. How do you know you're the leader? You make the greatest sacrifice. How do you know you're the leader? You make the greatest sacrifice. The proof of leadership is sacrifice. You think about your families, man. Who's making the greatest sacrifice to get your kids to church? Who's making the greatest sacrifice to disciple your own children? Who's making the greatest sacrifice to provide for your family? The proof of leadership is sacrifice. Real men lead courageously. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for those they've been called to lead. And I'm just going to tell you right now, we've all had self-centered leaders, right? On our jobs, maybe in our churches, in our community. We've all served under self-centered leaders. And let me tell you what I know about a self-centered leader. A self-centered leader will sacrifice you for them. Right? They want a promotion, so they'll use you to get their promotion. And you might lose your job, but they're going to get what they're wanting. And you know what I know about self-serving leaders? Nobody sacrifices for self-serving leaders. When it's time to check out, they check out. I'm done. But if you've ever served under a sacrificing leader, a person that sacrificed themselves for you, a person that sacrificed their ability for you, a person that went the extra mile so that you and the whole company and the whole business and the whole family and the whole church could prosper and do better, you know what I know about those kind of leaders? People will give themselves up completely to follow and serve those kind of people. And I just want to say to all of us as men in here today, the way you gain influence is through sacrifice. Because leadership is influence. And Jesus, the greatest leader to ever walk the planet, sacrificed his life for the sheep. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, for husbands, this means to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. What does loving your wife mean? It means giving up your life for her. Welcome to marriage. Dale Denise just got married yesterday. Good stuff coming, Trey. I ought to work that in my pre-marriage counseling. I don't know. I probably don't do enough of that. You know you're leading because you're sacrificing. And if you're not sacrificing, guess what, guys? We're not leading. Amen? Amen? You talk to business owners, and the guy that owns the company, he's the first one there, he's the last one to leave, and he's the guy thinking about it 24 hours a day, seven days a week when everybody else is out having fun. See, I realize most people think about church when they come to church. I think about church 24-7, 365. And my wife has to say, all right, Keith, check out. We're not at work, not at church. It's family time. Last point, here we go. A real man, look at this, a real man expects the greater reward, God's reward. A real man lives to please the one who died for him. 
He lives for the eternal, not the temporal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Let me sum it up really quickly. One died for all, so all should live for one. Jesus died for everybody so that everybody should live for Jesus. And that's the high calling. Real men live for the one that died for them. They're living for Christ. They're living that own purpose, not a perfect, but a own purpose life that says, I'm pursuing Christ. I want to become more and more like Jesus. And they're living for the one that died for them. And they're not just living for the temporal, they're living for the eternal. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Let me tell you something today. There's only one thing you can take to heaven, that's people. The old preacher said this. He said, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse because you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Nothing wrong with houses and cars and boats and things. Nothing wrong with all that stuff. God gave us that stuff to enjoy, and we ought to enjoy it, but we don't need to live for it. Let me tell you one of the greatest tragedies that happens is that men will work 40, 60, 70, 80 hours a week to provide a home for their family. And then when their kids move out of their home, they don't have a relationship with their family. And now you got grown kids that don't want to talk to you. And grown kids that don't want to be around you. And you busted your tail providing a place for them which is required and necessary. But what they really wanted was a relationship with you. And so they could have done without a few extra things if they could have had a little more time with daddy. Wives. I'm just going to tell you, guys, I'm going to save you about a million dollars. She's not really impressed by all the big stuff you buy her. But if you go by the Dollar Tree and get a card, stop on the side of the road and pick a flower and bring it home and give it to your wife. And I'm, I'm, I'm confessing I'm guilty. I haven't done this in a long, long time. I'm sorry, sweetie. She's, she's down here about to get me. But I'm just going to tell you what I know to be true. I'm just not practicing really good right now. And there's not a ring, a car, a house, or a thing big enough that could compete with a card from the Dollar Tree and a flower that you picked on the side of the road with your love that says, baby, I just want you to know I was thinking about you today. I just saved you a bunch of money, guys. Now, she still may want the ring in the car, and that's okay, buy it for her. But that's not the thing she's going to remember. When grandma dies, she doesn't walk the grandkids out there. She don't take her granddaughter out and say, did I show you this car your grandpa bought me? Now, you know what she does? She pulls out the drawer on her nightstand, and she reaches there, and she pulls out this little old love letter he wrote her 40 years ago. Honey, did I ever show you this? Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. The only thing we can take to heaven is people. Let's take somebody with us.
Let's love our families so that they can't stand the thought of not spending eternity with us in heaven. Amen. Now, let me just say this real quick. I know the men here at Liberty Church. I'm just going to tell you, we got some of the best. You guys are amazing. Sacrificing, serving, living, giving of yourself. I want to just commend you men this morning because I know the guys in this room today and you guys rock. <laughs> you really do. And I want to just ask all the ladies right now, let's just give all these mighty men a great big round of applause this morning. Come on. You're not married to a perfect man, but you are married to an on-purpose man. And he may not always get it right, but the men in this room that I know, they want to make it right even when they miss it. And that's honorable. And that's mighty men. I want you just to bow your heads with me today. I want to do two things before we go. I want to just pray a prayer blessing over our fathers in just a minute. But before I do that, maybe you're here today. Our last little point is this. A real man refuses to live his life alone because every man needs three people. Let me tell you who you need in your life. Every man needs God. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then it doesn't matter what you obtain in this world, it will be empty and void. Because one day we're all going to stand before God and you're either going to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or you're going to hear him say, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I never knew you. And today God is calling us. We need God. I believe we need our families. God told Adam in Genesis chapter 2, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. We need our families. And if you don't have a natural family that loves you and supports you, here's the good news. We have a spiritual family that cares about you. And you belong here. And then last but not least, I believe that every man, every man needs a brother. Proverbs 27, 7 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. We're going to get ready to pray and then I'm going to give you a final announcement. I told you guys how you could get connected this coming Saturday. This coming Saturday here at our Arab campus, right here where we're at today, at 8 a.m., we're going to have a men's breakfast. And you're all invited. And if you want to get connected to our men's ministry and you want to find out how you could take that next step or maybe you just want to come get a free breakfast, you just come on. We'd love for you to come. And we'd love for you to be with us. But right now, let's just do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a minute. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, you know what I realized this morning? I don't know God. I don't know God as my Father. And I don't know Jesus as my Savior. And I want to know Him today. I want to know Him today. If that's not you, I want you, if that's you this morning, I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. Today I want to know Him. I've never been saved. I don't really know God. I don't know Him. I know about Him, but I don't know Him. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If you're watching online, I'd love to pray with you right now. I don't know God, but I want to know Him today as my Father, and I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We're just going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody to say it out loud with me. Let's just say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.